0: I met Father Michael Lapsley in his modest Cape Town home, the walls adorned with African tapestries and mementos of his years spent working on the continent he's come to love so much. Framed photographs of Father Michael, taken with the likes of leaders like Nelson Mandela, tell their own story. Born in New Zealand, Michael Lapsley moved to Australia to become an Anglican priest and was ordained there in the early 1970s. His community then sent him to study further in Durban. The church also appointed him chaplain for three universities in what was then known as Natal. Two of the campuses were black students only, as was the order of the day in apartheid South Africa. Like for many people, the 1976 uprisings in South Africa was a turning point for him.
1: And it was just after that uh, Soweto uprising that um, I became the national chaplain for Anglican students at a time where students were being uh, imprisoned, detained, tortured, killed.
0: Specifically the killing of schoolchildren. He became a voice for these students who were so brutally silenced. The South African government reacted and at the end of 1976, he was expelled from the country. He took refuge in neighbouring Lesotho. Up to that point, he'd been a pacifist, but the shooting of children pushed him over the edge.
1: And I realised that in this context, with our history, that people had a right to defend themselves and therefore that armed action against apartheid had become morally legitimate, necessary and justified. And so on the basis of that reflection, uh, I then applied to join and became um, one of the, uh, both a member and a chaplain of the African National Congress of South Africa. In
0: 1982, the South African Defence Force crossed into Lesotho, and killed 42 people, mostly ANC members, in what became one of the most infamous illegal cross-border raids known as the Masiru massacre. Father Michael's church leaders believed he was a target and he was moved to Zimbabwe.
1: The Zimbabwean authorities came to me and said that we have information that you are on the South African government uh, hit list. Uh, and so, in fact, in fact, I had lived with armed police guards 24 hours a day for um, a number of years.
0: He says he remembers the day he heard about being on the hit list. It was a very lonely moment, he says, a personal moment, but he would not allow it to control his life.
1: Whilst I experienced fear at times, I would be guided by what I believed in rather than fearing what might uh, happen to me. <laughs>
0: So despite being on a hit list and having Zimbabwean police protection, Father Michael says he got on with his life as usual. By 1990, Nelson Mandela had been released and those in exile were excited about the prospects of returning back to South Africa. One evening Father Michael returned from a party. He was about to move from Harare to Bulawayo and friends had thrown him a farewell. He sat down to open a stack of mail that had piled up while he'd been traveling in Canada.
1: And one was uh, a manila envelope with two religious magazines. Um, And it was the act of opening one of the magazines that was the detonating device for a bomb. So in that bomb, I lost both my hand and eye. My eardrums were shattered. Um, But also I had a sense, uh, firstly, that in the midst of great pain that God was with me. I also knew in an instant that they had caught me Um, But in another sense, I also knew immediately that I had a victory because they had sought to kill me, but I was alive. So in a sense, they had failed and I had won.
0: Despite the devastating explosion, he did not go into shock or lose consciousness for reasons doctors have never been able to explain. A colleague sitting across the room from him was temporarily deafened, managed to run for help. The ambulance didn't arrive, so two friends took him to the hospital in their car. He believes the prayers and support from all over the world were a large factor in his healing.
1: I had travelled the world as part of the struggle against apartheid, and consequently when I was bombed I received messages of prayer, love, support from all across the world. And doctors and nurses are uh, helped in a particular way to heal my body, but the prayer, love and support of people across the world was what helped me to make my bombing redemptive. And by that I mean to bring life out of death, good out of evil. And I realized that if I was filled with hatred, bitterness, self-pity, desire for revenge, that I'd be a victim forever. They would have failed to kill the body, but they would have killed the soul. So I would say my journey is a journey from being a victim, which I was, uh, to be a survivor, which I was, I'm still alive, but a further step of victory, victory in the sense of uh, moving from being an object of history to becoming a subject of history once more, to to be able to uh, participate in, in creating a kinder, gentler, more just world.
0: He speaks about how he felt losing both his
1: hands. I think the main uh, experience or the main emotional uh, dimension uh, was one of grief.
0: It's like losing a loved one, he says.
1: Part of us will always um, grieve for the person we've lost and I think losing limbs is similar. Uh, You're losing part of yourself that won't come back and so I would say that grief became a permanent dimension of my life.
0: Watching Father Michael scrolling on his cell phone with the traditional metal hook hand prosthetic, adeptly raising his glass of water to his lips, and even driving a car, it's hard to imagine there was a time he was utterly helpless.
1: For the first four months, I was as helpless as a newborn baby, and so I had to learn um, how to do everything uh, afresh and in a new way. And and I think I, I realized that For me now, the struggle had become the struggle to get well, the struggle to return, the struggle to live my life as fully, as joyfully, as completely as possible, and that would be part of my victory.
0: It took seven months for Father Michael to be able to do things on his own. Since then, there is little he can't do. Practice, perseverance, and of course faith have played a big part in his rehabilitation. He says the support and kindness of others was a crucial catalyst for what has become his life's work, helping others to heal painful traumatic events through memories,
1: through prayer, love, and support from people of faith and people of goodwill, I was accompanied on my journey of healing, and it was out of that that I began to realize that, um, if you like, I had a new calling, and that was a calling to accompany others on their journey of healing, and it was out of that, that the Institute for Healing of Memories was created. Uh, I realized that for millions of South Africans, their stories had not been um, acknowledged, reverenced, recognized in the way that mine was, and that people hadn't said to them, and what happened, you was wrong. And so... We began this work of creating what we call safe and sacred spaces where people can deal with what it is that has happened to them and also how the country's journey has affected them psychologically, emotionally, spiritually.
0: And so was born the Healing of Memories workshops, which continues at the Institute today. I asked him what he feels are the steps to healing from such traumatic experiences. Is it mainly to tell
1: one's story? I think often uh, acknowledgement is the first key step in the journey of healing. Um, But storytelling alone doesn't equal healing uh, because wars and conflicts are kept going by storytelling. There has to be a process of, if you like, detoxifying, a process of letting go. The poison lies not in what we think about what happened, but it's in what we feel about what happened. So there has to be a space where people are able to articulate how they feel, but also there's a point of discovery where people realize that Whilst they're justified to hate, to be bitter, to want revenge, but those feelings, if we keep them inside of us, eventually they don't, don't, do not destroy our enemies, they destroy us. So healing involves a process of, of letting go um, that which is poisonous from the past, but also taking from the past that which is life-giving.
0: He says the part that is life-giving would be the wonderful memories of love, support and kindness... That people give you in that time of trauma and difficulty. And with storytelling comes the unparalleled power of people sharing and bearing witness to one another.
1: There's a dimension of healing that comes in a collective process where I not only tell my story um, and listen to my own story but I also hear the stories of others. And as people should begin to share their stories together, it is their pain which connects them and which then people find the strength and courage to take um, steps on the long journey towards healing and wholeness.